Hi, and welcome to the Property Side Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And if you want help starting a property business or you want to find out more about creative property strategies and building your income, then this is the podcast for you. No gimmicks, no dodgy property gurus, no nonsense. This is the Property Side Hustle podcast. Right, today's show is part three, I think we're up to now, of our series on starting a sourcing business. So if you've missed the last two episodes, what I suggest is you go back and have a listen to the other two. Uh, But today's going to be all about answering the top FAQs, so your most frequently asked questions, kind of like a quick fire round. So this episode is going to be jam-packed with juicy nuggets of information and hopefully answer lots of your burning questions on sourcing, on deal packaging, on investors, and just on the business in general. But before we jump into that, I just want to make an announcement that I have just opened up access to my mentoring program where I will work with you one-to-one and support you in your business. Now, Property Basecamp Premium is the only mentorship property training program in the UK that gives you full support and mentoring forever. And yes, it does mean forever. So value for money is off the scale compared to your traditional mentoring, where you're only going to get support for a very limited amount of time. Anyway, I just opened up access to new members to join up, and you can find out more info on my website. And to be in with a chance of enrolling this time round, you have to go and join the waiting list on my website. So head on over to psnpropertyblog.com. I'll put the link in the show notes as well. Um, Head on over there today to get yourself on that waiting list and be in with a chance of enrolling before the price increases on our next enrollment because there's going to be some changes later in the year. If you enroll now, you'll pay less and you won't be affected. Um, Our next enrollment probably going to be around the end of the summer, maybe into the autumn time, thinking probably around September, Um, but it's just penciled in at the moment. So if you want genuine one-to-one support where I can help you, we can jump on a video call every single month and we can talk about any aspect of your business. We can help with accountability, talk you through strategies, help you with literally anything you need and answer all your questions. That is what you get on uh, my Property Basecamp Premium mentoring program. Now, if you've got any questions at all about that, how it works or anything, in addition to visiting the website, then just reach out to me and we can take it from there. But it's going to close in, uh, well, in about a week's time from now, it's going to be closing uh, around the end of April. So go and check that out, psmpropertyblog.com. So I've compiled a list of my most asked questions that I get from people who are just starting out as a deal packager. So the first one is, do you have to be compliant to co-source? Now, it's a common misconception, crazily, even though it's 2023, this has been going on for years, that you can piggyback on somebody else's compliance. That is incorrect. 
completely and utterly incorrect. No matter who is telling you, you can do that. You cannot do that. As an example, if you have a deal and you, you're trying to sell it, uh, but you're not compliant and somebody else has got investors, guess what? You still have to be compliant as you are still involved in the transaction. So in short, yes, 100%, you must be compliant to act as a deal packager. Um, do not take the chance of, of not doing this correctly and not getting compliant and thinking you can cut corners and save some money, get, get the first deal over the line, then I'll get compliant. That's what a lot of people think. The HMRC are cracking down on this, and they are aware um, you know, when you when you register a business on company's house, they are aware what type of business you are operating and they will chase you down. And they've already started dishing out fines to people in the thousands. It's just not worth it. Go and get compliant and then you can be a deal packager. Next question. Uh, what location should you concentrate on? Should you just source locally or should you source everywhere? all over the place. Well, there's kind of two answers to this one. I would advise you source locally or at least within an hour's drive of where you live. Now, the chances are you already know quite a lot of useful information about your area, such as where is desirable, where isn't so desirable. um, And you can use that local knowledge to your advantage and expand on that local knowledge as well and become that local expert. For, for anybody wishing to invest in that area, that's, that's your, your location. However, and here's the caveat, if you happen to onboard an investor and they are looking for an investment on the other side of the country, 200 miles away, what do you do? Well, it's simple. As a deal packager, you are always, always going to be directed by what your investor client wants. So if they want to invest 200 miles away, you still onboard them, you qualify them, you find out what they want, and then you network with people in that location, find somebody to co-source with, compliantly, of course, and you have to check that they're compliant. Um, so they bring the deal to the table because they're in the area, they, they, they understand the local market. They bring the, the deal, the property, and you bring the investor or the buyer to that that scenario that way you leave no money on the table and you put money in the bank instead of turning them away because they don't wish to invest in your location your hometown or city now there's there's, where this kind of works really well is if you're based kind of anywhere south of birmingham so you're in you know maybe you're in london and you're thinking right lots of investors in london down south typically they want to invest Further north, they want to get more for their money, spread the risk, buy one or two properties instead of buying one, etc., etc. It makes a lot of sense. However, if you repeatedly, you're out there networking in London, let's say, for example, and you are constantly coming up with, um, oh, yeah, I'm looking to invest. Uh, I'm an investor, but I'm looking to invest in Newcastle, looking to invest in Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds, wherever it is. You're based in London. You don't know those areas. You need to onboard that investor, say, look, I'll reach out in my network. I can probably still help you with that. Um, give me a few days. Let, let's let's have a conversation. Um, onboard them as an investor. Find out their criteria. Get them signed up. 
and then leverage other people in those locations and make it work. That way, you're going to get some money. Yes, you're co-sourcing. Yes, you're going to do a fee split on the deal, but it's better than zero pounds in the bank. You've got some money coming in and you've built you know, a, a relationship with, a, with an investor who may invest again and again and again. So that's the kind of way to approach it. You can do two sides. So how do you find off-market properties? Now, this is, a, this is a huge one, isn't it? Now, there's a mixture of ways you can find off-market properties. So I'm just going to reel off some ideas for you really quick. Marketing online for certain types of vendors, such as people in negative equity, people who have properties that need a lot of work doing to them, people looking to get a quick sale due to personal circumstances. Um, so how do you market to people like that? Well, you could offer to sell their property for free and save them agency fees, um, act as an agent to snag the property. Always, always, with any type of marketing, think of who who you're trying to, who's that marketing for? You need to speak to the vendor's pain points. So if they're in negative equity, then they're going to feel stuck. Um they can't sell in the traditional way because the, the you know the, the market value just isn't there, doesn't make it viable to sell, but they may really desperately need to sell that property. You know, you may have a solution like offering them a lease option, etc. Another way to find off-market deals is to befriend small independent estate agents. Tell them what you are doing. Um, you're working with a group of local investors and that you could help them shift some properties. Align your goals with the agents and help them get their commission by getting sales for them. You know, once once an estate agent sees you as a path to cash, they will have that trust to send you properties before they hit the market and before they hit the internet and appear on Rightmove and Zoopla. So that agent will go out and do a valuation on a property for a potential new client. They'll go out, do the valuation. They'll think, hang on a minute, this works for such and such. My deal sourcer friend, I'll send it to them before I throw it on right move. That's kind of the scenario that you're going for. It's a slow burn, um, undoubtedly, you know, and it involves you building trust and being good to your word, but it can be very worthwhile. The big thing there is, a lot of people make the mistake of walking into a estate agent saying, right, I can do this, 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 this. And they start talking about themselves. They start rabbiting on about well, what they're doing instead of thinking, right, how, what's their pain point? What's the agent's problems? Well, the agent doesn't get paid unless they sell the property. They don't get their commission unless they get the sale. So you're there to help them sell. You're a path to cash. It's just the way you dress it up and the way you speak. So another way you can look at it, um, how do you find off-market properties, is empty properties. Now, these are often overlooked. So get out there, walk your area, try and find out uh, via neighbours what the story is if you come across an empty property. Uh, ask them what's going on, how long has it been empty, it, it, You know, do you know who owns the property, what's the deal? Um you can get the owner's details, obviously, from the land registry and approach the, the owner directly if, if nobody knows who the owner is and you can, you can kind of, 
you can go down that route. So empty properties are, are, are you know, often overlooked. They're just sat there empty. Um, another big one is investors. Now, hang on a minute. We're looking for off-market properties. Why are we talking about investors all of a sudden? People almost always make the mistake of seeing investors as buyers. That's what they do. Investors buy property. But guess what? They, they sell property as well. You know, many of my clients over the years bought and sold properties, and it kept me very busy indeed. So the tactic is, with this, helping investors sell their portfolios or their buy-to-lets and doing it for free. You know, saving them an agent fee, taking your fee from the buyer of the deal, obviously. Um, also, think about it like this. Imagine you're a landlord right now. You've got a buy-to-let property and you have tenants in there paying the rent. And those tenants want to stay in the property. It would be rather daft to evict those tenants just to sell the property. So why not keep the tenants in place, continue living there, continue paying the rent, and sell it on to an investor? That way, the current owner keeps that rent roll coming in until the day they sell it. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So it's just about pitching ideas to, you know, and framing things correctly and just putting that marketing out there to say this is a service that you can offer to investors. Always think investors don't only buy, they sell. And in the, in the market at the moment, actually, it's worth saying that there's a lot of, there's a lot of buy-to-let landlords who are looking to sell. They're looking to get out because of the changes in legislation, uh, tax grab on landlords, all sorts of rules and regulations changing. So people don't like the new rules and they're deciding to get out. But there's plenty of investors who are looking to get in, who are looking to get started, who are looking to grow. So, you know, it's certainly worthwhile considering. Focus on investors as buyers and sellers. Okay, so this is a common one. As a deal packager... What strategy should you focus on? Um, Many people make the assumption, there's a lot of assumptions in this game, isn't there? Many people make the assumption they need to source all types of deals, such as buy-to-lets, flips, rent-to-rents, lease options, service accommodation units, and so on and so on. The reality is, as a deal packager of some years, I can tell you most investors out there are pretty vanilla in what they want. So 90% of investors you on board will want some form of a buy-to-let, be it a single let uh, or a HMO. And the other 10% that we've got, they'll want maybe something else such as a flip or a BRR deal. So don't think you need to be sourcing all sorts of weird things and you know that fit certain strategies. It just isn't the case. You don't need to be you know clued up on everything. You could... Literally, just focus on one thing. You could focus on HMOs and become the HMO guy or the HMO lady who just, you know, that's your thing, that's your niche. There's nothing wrong in niching down as a deal packager and focusing and specializing on a a unique thing. If it's BRR deals, flips, if it's just vanilla buy-to-lets, you know, shout about it, explain what you do, explain what you don't do and why you focus on what you do. You know, it can be... you know, you can put that in there as part of your business model, part of your services that you offer. 
And another qu- common question I get asked a hell of a lot is, should I take a reservation fee as a deal packager and get some money up front to stop those tire kickers? Well, we spoke about this before on the podcast, but it's, it's worth covering again. I can share my own experience here and why I changed my own processes and how I did things back in the day. I started out taking reservation fees, but after a while it it caused resistance from new investors. They would ask lots of questions such as, well, if I don't buy the property, do I get my reservation fee back? What happens if the surveyor goes out and downvalues the property and we pull out of the purchase? Do I get my money back? Yes, of course, you could add in those scenarios and ensure that they will get their feedback, but it's in it's an admin task that you don't need. It's a headache. Um, and to be compliant, jumping back on the compliancy thing again, to be compliant in this scenario, if you're going to take reservation fees for services, you must have a client bank account because that money is not yours. It's, a, it's client money. It sits in that client bank account until the end of the process and they bought the property and therefore that, that reservation fee then becomes yours. You know, So you need a client bank account. You cannot just throw a reservation fee in your business bank account because it could get eaten up by a direct debit. You could spend it. It, it could disappear. Also, you must have client money protection, which is a type of insurance to go along with that. Now, the reason is... Um, like I say, that money does not belong to you unless a purchase takes place. So can you guess where I'm going with all of this? If you have to wait till the the investor purchases and you have full access to that money, then what's the point? You know, you don't get that money. It's not yours. It's essentially on ice. It sits there on ice until they buy the property exchange and completion. And there's also a cost to having client money protection, you know, and not all banks out there, actually, not all business banks will give you a client money account. So that limits your banking choices as well. You know, so think about that. The other main factor, and this is why I stopped taking a reservation fee. It actually wasn't about that. It was about this. At the beginning, when you onboard an investor client, your goal is what? Your goal is is to build trust, it's to build a relationship that you can work with. So if straight away you're asking them for money, you're asking them for a fee, then that makes it difficult and you're going to get investors being reluctant at parting with money to somebody they just met. They're going to be taking a couple of steps back away from you. And the last thing you want as a new deal packager is to put barriers up between you and onboarding uh, investor clients. You know, you want to make it easy. You want to make it seamless. You don't want to put put these barriers in the way. You want to make it easy for them. Plus, who needs that headache of the extra compliance with the, the client money protection needing a client account? So my advice is don't take reservation fees. Yes, you could argue it might stop tire kickers. The reality is you may still get tire kickers who string you along and then decide they don't want the deal. So... Yeah, my advice, don't do it. Don't take reservation fees. So here's the last one. Um, Should you source the deal first or the investor? Um, And a lot of people do it the other way. A lot of people source the deal first. 
Now, many so-called property gurus out there and property trainers will say, find the deal. If it's good enough, then somebody will buy it. Absolute nonsense. The reality is you may have the best deal in the world. However, if you have no buyers and very few connections, then the chances are you're going to struggle to sell it. You don't have a platform to sell that deal. How are you going to sell it? How are you going to find the buyer? You know, I've got a property group on Facebook, the Property Deal Sourcing Community UK. And anybody can join. You can join yourself if you're not already on there. And there's about eight, eight and a half thousand members, I think, now. And on there, I have a deal thread, which means anybody can post a deal in there. And there's hundreds posted every single month, every single day. I'm allowing these posts into the group, into this thread. I would love to know the statistics on how many actually sell via this route, via throwing a deal on Facebook or social media. You know, social media, I'm sure you've seen it yourself. You will have seen it, guaranteed. Social media, these property groups, are full of people trying to flog deals. You know, I used to source the deal first and then scramble around trying to find a buyer. And I would say my deal completion rate, it was probably probably way below 20%, probably, probably closer to 10% doing it that way. So the majority, you know, if you said 80, 80 to 90% of my deals that I found that I thought were, were a great deal actually didn't sell, um, doing it that way. And not to mention, I wasted a lot of time viewing things, securing deals, and then ultimately struggling to find the buyers. So I flipped that process around because I used to be an estate agent and I thought as an agent... I was kind of the reverse of a deal packager. I found the seller as an agent and then we advertised and we found the buyer. I didn't try and find buyers first. That would make no sense as an agent. An agent doesn't think, right, I need to find loads of buyers. They think, right, I need to find properties first. So I get get the kind of logic that the deal sourcer would think the same. Um, So I thought, okay, um, I'll find the buyers first as a sourcer, as a deal packager. I thought, okay, I'll find the buyers first and then find exactly what they're looking for. I'll qualify them, speak to them, um, ask them a ton of questions. And if I can, if I can do that and I can find the buyers and find out what they're looking for, then surely they will buy the property I've presented them with because I've I've given them exactly what they wanted. It made perfect sense, and it changed the game for me. You know, my deal completion skyrocketed to probably the complete reverse. So 90% of investors I onboarded, I found them a deal and they bought it. 90%, you know, from going from 10% of deals actually going anywhere to 90%, that's a that's a huge difference. Let me tell you, that is a huge difference. And your bank account will notice that difference. You know, I also spent less time doing viewings and more time actually networking, finding clients, which meant less wasted time. Because my focus in my deal packaging business wasn't property. It wasn't property at all. It was networking. It was finding finding investors. You don't need to have deals sat there ready for them. You just don't. You go out, you find out what they want, and then you go and look for the properties. That's how to do it. 
So, you know, think about it. Who says it's a deal? A lot of people think, I've got a great deal. But who says it's a great deal? Who's looked at your deal and said that that works? The question is, who does it stack up for? You know, you cannot possibly say, oh, it's a great deal, as every investor out there, believe you me, will be wanting something slightly different. So what works for one investor, investor A, won't work for investor B. It just doesn't work like that. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So you go and find a buy-to-let, it earns 8% uh, yield. You know, that's a deal. Great. Absolute nonsense. What works for one person may not work for the next. So there's no such thing as, oh, it's a great deal, it'll sell. Um, it, do you know what? It's so back-to-front trying to find deals and then trying to match it up to an investor. Trying to find that investor and pluck them out of thin air. So my advice is find the buyer, qualify them, and guess what? When you've qualified them, what, what that is, is you've got a shopping list right there. You know what location they want to invest in. You know what their budget is. You know what returns they want and when they want to invest. You know, that information is literally your shopping list. And all you have to go and do as a deal packager is go and find them what they want or as close to it as you can. You know, as a deal packager, you are providing a service. And that service is for investors who don't have the time or sometimes even knowledge to find their next investment property. You're a service provider. As a deal packager, as a sourcer, you're a service provider. And if you focus, and if your focus is actually on finding deals instead of finding your ideal clients, then it's not going to work very well. You're doing it the wrong way round. Always make sure your focus as a deal package is on your clients. The deals and the properties are secondary. The investors are where 90% of your focus should be aimed at. If you do this and you nail that side of the business and you can onboard investors for fun, you will do very, very well. Now, this change for me, this, this flipping this thing around, this change for me meant I earned money. Ultimately, I earned money as opposed to not earning money um, and crossing my fingers that I could find a buyer quickly and having that panic and throwing the deal on every Facebook group and thinking that, you know, oh, somebody will buy it, somebody will buy it, somebody will buy it. You know, a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of investors out there, a lot of deal sources out there actually say, "Hopefully, this one will sell." Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Don't base your business on hope. Don't base your business on hope. That's just not viable, is it? It's not, you know, it's not a great business model if you're hoping somebody will buy a deal. Go out there and find the investors. Do it properly. Be professional. So, on that note. That's all for this episode. Uh, I hope you got some really good takeaways from this one in episode four, I think. We on there four, three? I don't know, I've lost count. Um, in the next one, I'm going to cover systems and software that you can utilize in your sourcing business because a lot of people then think, right, okay, I kind of need something to log investors, something to log deals I'm looking at. How do I make all this work? That's what we're going to dive into on the next episode. But if I didn't cover a question today that you want the answer to, reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram, message me. Um, don't forget, go check out the website, psmpropertyblog.com and join that waiting list. Um, if you want me to mentor you, 
or jump on my free training, which is available on the website, and I'll be back soon with the next episode. But until then, stay safe, take it easy.